Oh, for grace to trust him more. I don't know about you, but I'm full. I'm full in worship. Yeah, God's spirit is up and down in this church today. And I'm glad, glad that you are all here to experience it. Your heavenly father loves you more than you even know. God cares about you. And sometimes I hear the spirit of God saying, if you would only take care of yourselves, you would be able to see how much more I have for you. We don't have to fight as hard as we're fighting. We don't have to, to put up all this resistance we're putting up. What God has for you is for you. And you don't have to fear and you don't have to worry. All you have to do is to lean on his ever unchanging hands. For he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And get this, we went through the full Decalogue as Moses came down from the mountain and gave the Ten Commandments to all of those children of Israel. It's the same God that's coming down today and telling you that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you today. It's the same God. Opening doorways and closing doors, doing everything that he can just to make sure that you understand that you are loved by your Heavenly Father in ways that you can't even imagine. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen? Amen. So I got a story I want to tell to set the context for today's message. You know, I like telling stories. So one day, one day, a bus driver was driving along his usual route when a big hulk of a man got onto the bus. The man was six feet eight inches tall, built like a wrestler, and with arms that seemed to hang from the ground. He glared at the driver of the bus and told him, Big John doesn't pay. Then he sat at the back of the bus. The driver happened to be about five feet, three inches tall, thin, very meek, so he didn't argue with Big John, but he wasn't happy. The next day, the same thing happened, and the next, and the next. So the bus driver began to lose sleep over the way Big John was taking advantage of him. Finally, he could stand it no longer, so he signed up for bodybuilding and karate and judo and self-esteem classes. And by the end of the summer, the bus driver had become stronger and more confident. So as fate would have it, one day, Big John entered the bus and once again declared, Big John doesn't pay. The driver now sprang into action and took him on. He stood up, glared at Big John in the eyes, and then he bellowed, and why not? To this, Big John, with a surprised look on his face, which showed that he was quite taken aback at what he now saw as a challenge to him, Big John replied, Big John has a bus pass. The story is quite humorous and it serves 
to highlight the fact that we often go to extremes in order to try and overcome our fears. These fears, often perceived as conjectures in our own minds, lead us to taking some kind of action which have no basis in reality, but have the damaging potential of disrupting our lives and causing us undue stress. The dictionary describes fear as an unpleasant emotion that is caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. Simply put, fear is to be afraid of something. But the truth is, fear is a spirit. And by being a spirit, what I mean is that it is a supernatural phenomenon. Fear is a demon. And its function is to make you acquiesce to the perception that will inhibit you from taking some kind of action that may benefit you or the kingdom of God. It was fear that made the bus driver believe that violence was the appropriate response to resolving the internal conflict that he had with what he perceived to be a moral issue of someone not paying their fair share. As long as fear can impact the way we act or do not act, depending on the situation, then we are useless in advancing God's kingdom. To help us dissect this a bit further, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 John, the fourth chapter, and the seventh through the 19 verses. And reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, here's what it says. And I want to read it because I want you to kind of hear what thus saith the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now get this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love, we love, because he first loved us. 
What a complicated text. All it seems to be talking about is God in us. God is love. Love dry. All of this love, what does it really mean? And so to help us to unpack this today, I'm going to be speaking from the topic, from the subject, love's act. Love's act. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you now for this preaching hour. We thank you, Lord, that all that our eyes have seen and all that our ears have heard has now prepared us for what you have to say. Now, Lord, I know what I prepared and I know the struggle and the challenge that I had preparing this message. But what I do know to be true, that even in our weakness and imperfection, your strength, your power is made perfect. So, Lord, speak now. Open up the hearts of your people and your children that they may hear your spirit. This I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The Apostle John wrote his letters, and they're probably the last ones that were written in the New Testament. And he calls on Christians everywhere to live a life of love and obedience to the tenets of our faith. It is a call to recognize that the inner life of every man and woman of God is actually what houses our deepest and most important issues. John's letters are not closely reasoned or, or marked with step-by-step -step arguments as we see in Paul's letters. When you read Paul's letters, Paul's letters are very intellectual and sometimes they can be hard to understand. But John doesn't do that. John gives you a real simple way that he processes information and a real easygoing way in which he talks to you. John uses certain themes and he repeats these themes over and over again. Themes such as light. John is always talking about light. John is also always talking about love as we see in our text. And John is always talking about truth. These are the things that John keeps repeating over and over again in his letters. In simple terms, John reminds us of the basic truths of the gospel that are designed to shape our lives and our relationship with our Lord. This is why John writes his letters. Now, now, here's what I want you to understand. We know intuitively that the genuineness of the Christian experience, the realness of what you and I proclaim is tested and it's established negatively by the absence of sin. But it's also established positively in the presence of obedience in love. Faith, or the claims that we make to have faith is not enough by itself because such a claim has to be worked out with what? Some kind of behavior or practice. We know this from James who says what? Faith without works is dead. And, and, and we must always practice what we proclaim or what we preach. So there's a sense that if you believe in God, if you claim to be a Christian, if you believe that God is all that the book says he is, then it's not enough for you simply just to say or talk about it. It's also important that you be about it. This is expressly why, why we are to remain in the light, as John tells us. But, but, but we can dwell in that light, which is God himself, but we must be able to recognize when we have moved out of that light and have left the communion of the saints. Now, throughout the early part of this particular letter that John wrote, he talks about testing and judging the spirit and the authenticity of every one of our claims that we are children of God. 
He gets out and he goes and he says, listen, you got to test the spirit. Because when he says, anyone or any person that cannot say Jesus has come in the flesh, you are not operating in the spirit of God. You're operating in some other kind of spirit. This is what John says. So he wants us to understand there is two things that John wants us to understand. One, there is knowing the light, but also walking in the light. You can walk, think you're walking in the light, but you don't know the light. So John wants us to know the light and then walk in the light. So, 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 so how can we know if we have fellowship with God? Well, John unlocked this for us. So let's unpack this a little bit. And you'll see where I'm going. Now, I need you to stay focused because it's going to get a little complicated. Just a little complicated for a little bit. All right? When John speaks of light, and he uses the term light, and he uses this almost 30 times in his writings, he's often quoting Jesus. In other words, John is not telling us Jesus is light just because it's something good to say or something that came up in his mind. No, John is often quoting what Jesus actually said. In John, the 8th chapter and the 12th verse, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Those are Jesus' words, right? That's what Jesus says about himself. So John is always making the case that Jesus is telling you he is the light, right? Now, now, the essential nature of God as light, what do we mean by Jesus is light or God is light? It means that that sets God apart from man. Oh, pastor, it's going to get heavy now. Man's sinful condition, yours and mine, has made it so that we lie in darkness. Even worse, the scriptures tell us that men and women loved darkness instead of light because their deeds, the things they did, were evil continuously. So, so when, when, when confronted by the nature of God, Men twist and struggle and turn away from holiness because of our inherent sinful nature. Now, these are hard words. The terms light and darkness, whenever put against each other, they are moral terms in John's writing. And to be quite blunt, it's saying that the character of God is expressed as light and the character of sinful man is expressed as darkness. And you and I know that we, when we say, what fellowship does light have with darkness? None. None. So John is doing a very hard thing by bringing us face to face with the uncomfortable reality that if we are uncomfortable with God, then it means that we have to be in the dark. If you are uncomfortable with God, you are in the dark. That's the point. That's a hard thing to say for a pastor. If you have a problem with God, if you can't handle the things of God, it means that you are operating like rats and roaches hiding in the dark. And how do I know that to be true? Because the scriptures, and you all just said it, what fellowship does light have with darkness? None. This means that our values our behaviors, our attitudes, our commitments, all of the things that we have given ourselves over to in this world has to be in harmony 
with God's character rather than the natural passions of our own lives. And what the church knows that the world ignores is that the separation that we're seeing now is because it's actually between God's character and the character of man. And it's created a terrible barrier. So this great barrier has caused all of us, most of us, some of us, to walk in perpetual darkness. Now, I want you to see the imagery and understand what I'm saying. Can you imagine if everything in here was dark? You can't see anything at all. Walking around, eyes closed, lights off. How do you know where to go? Now, I was going to close my eyes, but I knew something was there, so I didn't want to fall over it. <laughs> but that's exactly the point. The point is, how can you know where to go when you are stuck in a place in darkness? And you know what the tragedy is? There are people who are in darkness who have become so accustomed to tripping and falling over things that they believe that that is normal. What do you say when you believe that all the problems and the pressures that you're experiencing in your life, you should be experiencing and you deserve because it's all you've ever known? Brothers and sisters, believe me, Jesus has come that we may have life and light and to live free and abundantly. So John says, knowing the light and walking in the light. So pastor, where are you going with all of this? Well, let's talk about knowing the light. To be clear, when I talk about light, I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. So when John calls us to fellowship, John is actually inviting us to know Jesus. But I got a problem. Paul says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. That is confusing words. So Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. Well, how can we tell if we know Christ? Because remember now, we need to understand that, 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 that if God is light and we are sinful and dark, how can we know it? How can we even know God? And part of the problem is how we understand this word know. When we say to somebody, I know that, it's a way of saying that I have information. If I say, I know all about salmon, it could mean that I know how to catch them. If I say, I know Henry, I may be expressing friendship, acquaintance, or simply the ability to identify a person in the crowd. If I say, I know Plato or Aristotle, probably it's a claim to saying that I understand their philosophy. If I say I know what you mean when you're talking to me, it could mean that I'm really just expressing empathy or sympathy, right? You see, the no word can be pretty confusing. It, it, it can be cognitive, it can be reflexive, it can be experiential, it can be an acquaintance, it can be intimate. So what then does it mean to know Jesus? What are the apostles telling us when they tell us to know Jesus? As a matter of fact, the dictionary tells us that, that, that actually the dictionary, the New Testament tells us that it comes from a Greek word that means to grasp, watch this, the full reality and nature of an object under consideration. So here's the truth. You and I do not have the cognitive, 
intellectual, reflective, experiential, or intimate capacity to grasp the full reality and nature of God. So the dictionary is telling us that that's what it means to know, to grasp fully. And we don't even have the capacity in our ability and our reasoning to do that. Then it seems to me that we cannot ever really know God. That's a hard thing for a pastor to say. I'm saying you and I can never know God. This is depressing. So how do we explain John's words in the seventh verse where he says, this is what he says, Beloved, well, watch it. Let us, John's words, not mine. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Do you see that? And he says this, and everyone who loves is born of God and, uh oh and knows God. Wait a second. After all what I've just told you, what is John talking about? What kind of no is John talking about here? Is it intellectual? Is it cognitive? Is it experiential? Is it intimate? Are you with me? What kind of no are you talking about, John? Because I just understand that according to the dictionary, it's grasping the full measure of a nature of something, and we don't even have the ability to understand. It's like, telling, it's like a fish in the ocean trying to tell you and instruct you how to walk on dry land. It's got no frame of reference. It has no capacity. It's never walked on dry land, has no clue what it is even to breathe air. So how can the creator, right, expect us to know him? And what is John talking about? Are you seeing this with me? He, he says, but, but the answer lies in the part where John says, love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God. Did you see that? But he goes on further to say, the one who does not love does not know God. So John is equating knowing God to the act of showing love. Stay with me, church. He's saying that when it comes to knowing God, there's a correlation between knowing God and the act of showing love. And it got me curious. So what this means is that when you actually act in love, the act in and of itself is what makes you know God because you know and experience something from that act. You're not with me yet. Whenever you do something nice for somebody, something caring, you often get what we call this feel good feeling, right? When you do something nice for people, don't you feel good? At least I hope this church feels good. When you do something nice for people, something about the act of kindness feels natural as well as come across as personally rewarding. What I'm saying is that the act itself, not the, not, not the one who is doing the act or receiving the act, but the act itself opens up the doorway to knowing God. Oh, here's an example, a very recent example. Y'all probably heard about um, 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 Bertrand Jean, right? Y'all heard that name? All right, so he's the young man, the brother, who's, who's, who, who's his brother was killed by that police officer, right? By the white female police officer. Y'all saw this, right, if you haven't seen it, right? All over the news media, we saw the display of Bertrand Jean hugging the white female police officer that murdered his brother and was sentenced to only 10 years in prison. 
Now, I got problems with that on plenty levels because we got a brother who just killed a dog and he got 40 years. Anyway, that's another sermon. But however, let me stay right here. While many people cannot believe that he could forgive that officer to the point of even asking to give her a hug, many people could feel the compassion and benevolence that was extended to her. You could feel it. What I want you to see is that that act of kindness itself under circumstances that we probably would never even consider allows us to know something about the love of God. That love which flows out of the act which you and I can tangibly feel is God. Did you hear what I said? We see what he did. We feel something. And what I'm saying to you is that irrespective of him or even the police officer, you feel something. And what I'm telling you, that that thing that you felt, I'm saying is God. Wow. Wow. Whoa. Whoa, pastor. You, you, in, you, in a, you in a strange place right now. I'm saying the act itself. Something about the act itself manifests God. And what you feel is God. You may not agree with what the act was, but you can't deny that you felt something and you felt God because of the act. Are you tracking with me? Well, I'll go, I'll go further because you're not convinced. So when John says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. He means that if you have not done the act, you can't know God, for God is actually in the act itself. It is only those that act in love can know God. So when you're not doing good deeds, when you're not caring for the poor, when you're not feeding the homeless, when you're not doing all the things that we are fighting and telling everybody in the church that we want to do, what you need to understand, and what I'm telling my church today, is that if you want to know God, do the act. Do the things. Because you're going to get the feeling that God's going to say, Ha ha, I am with you. If you're not doing anything... You wonder, I can't see God in my life. I don't see. I pray to God all this time, and God is not showing up. He's not doing anything in my life. I see him blessing other people. I guarantee you, if you look at the people God is blessing, I guarantee you, they are acting. They're doing something, and it's in the act that God shows up. Ooh. So, so, if you're, so take away this. If you're not doing anything, you don't know God. You are not connecting to his nature. Because God is love. Ooh, this is some sweet stuff here. Now, 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 John didn't leave us there. John didn't simply leave us at knowing God. Now you all are clear at what it means to know God. So if I say I want to know God today. Now let's go back to Paul. Here's what Paul says. <laughs> I'm thank you, Jesus, that you showed me this. Paul says this. Philippians 3 and 10. I want to know Christ. Is that what he said? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and fellowship. Watch this. Of what? Sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. 
and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So now we understand knowing God. Now we got to walk with God, right? So we walked, we know the light. Now we want to walk in the light. In verse 12, John says this. Verse 12, he says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, though, which again is the act, right? If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love, watch this, is perfected in us. Now, 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 now hear this. I want God's spirit to abide in me, Jackie. I want God's spirit to, to be alive in me. And what I'm saying is the only way that I'm going to know God is if I'm acting in love. Because it's in the act that God lives. And so if God, I want God to continuously, perpetually to be in me, then I have to continuously act on his behalf. Continuously act in love. You see, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and, and his love is perfected in us. So every time we come to church, for example, and we create this atmosphere where everyone is loving each other, caring for each other, looking out for each other within the church, correcting others too, but doing all of the things in love in the church. What we're saying is that this place will be filled with so much God that when people walk in here, they can't help but be like, oh my gosh, God is in this place. You see, that's what I'm trying to understand. And what did they say? They say, this is how others will know that you are truly my disciples. By what? By how you treat those in the household of faith. Is this making sense to you? I'm saying that if you are not having, if you're having struggles with God's abiding presence in your life, it's because you're not doing anything. You're not giving him anything to work with because he's not going to show up with you sitting there waiting on him to come when he's going to be like, go do what I told you to do. Go love someone because if you love someone, you're going to find me in the act. Oh my gosh. Uh -huh. Lord, 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 I pray they're getting this. So John also says, as we get ready to close, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So, so to walk in the light first requires that we know the light. And as I've already shared, knowing the light means that you're engaged in acting and doing things that, the ref that reflect the light of God's love. Every act of kindness, meekness, patience, forgiveness, compassion, care are demonstrations of God's love. So to walk in the light simply means that you're living a life that is constantly being directed to act. I want that to sit there for a while. Don't miss this. What I'm saying to you is that if you're going to be walking in the light, then you have to be very aware of when the Holy Spirit is nudging you and prompting you to do things according to God's will. This, therefore, means that you have to be able to discern 
when you're getting promptings from the Spirit of God and when you're getting promptings from the Spirit of fear. If you don't know the difference between the two, then you will always act out of fear and you would end up doing what that bus driver did. Without enough information, taking matters into your own hands, not knowing that Big John already has a bus pass. Fear will always lead you to act in accordance with something that is contrary to the will of God. And when this happens, and it happens often, you will be walking in perpetual darkness, blind to the will of God. So what does this mean for the Christian, Pastor, as you wrap this up? Because of sin, many of us are legitimately walking in darkness. But for those of us who are saved, every now and then we walk in the light. Because the truth of the matter is, even if you're walking in the light, you still need forgiveness. You still need cleansing from sin. You still need God to help you out whenever you fall down. But the beauty is that while it is possible for the, for the, for the Christ believer to not sin, it doesn't mean that it is impossible for you to sin. We sin every moment of every day. And every time we sin, all we've done is moved away from the light towards the dark. And then we go back to the light and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm sorry. And then you go sin again and you're going back. So you're going through the schizophrenia, light and dark, light and dark. Is this what you want your life to look like? Because sometimes this is what my life looked like. Sometimes someone, I'm, I'm, I'm in the light, I'm listening to my favorite gospel song, while I'm driving in my car and I am spirit filled and I'm excited and I'm so happy I'm just loving Jesus and I'm just like yes God and I'm singing in my song and then out of nowhere Satan sends somebody to cut me off or they're driving on the wrong side of the road because I like the left lane and the left lane is for the people who are driving fast not the slow people and I wonder what happened to that I, all I did was it's in the dark I'm back to the dark. Are, are you with me? I'm driving in the light, all happy, and someone cuts me off, and there I go, back into the dark. This is what's happening with all of us. And what I'm saying to you is that the reason why that's happening is because we love the dark. The dark is where we get to, 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 to really feel like, you know, we're in control. But the light says, no, God's in control. So, many of us, our lifestyles are not godly. It's patterned after the ways of the world. But, but the truth of the matter is we don't have to stay there. Our lifestyles don't mean that we have to continuously be living in perpetual darkness because there is hope. And that hope says that no matter how many times you get cut off and you fall into the dark, there's always a way to get you back into the light. And the reason why that is possible, and this is where the sermon meets its apex, the reason why that is possible is because of what I have actually titled this sermon, which is Love's Act. Remember what I said about the act? I said that God is in the act. Isn't that what I said? I said, if you're not doing anything, you can't know God. So, so, so there's this huge chasm that exists between us. There is no fellowship with light and no fellowship with darkness. We agree. So there's this huge gap between light and dark. And we're, we, 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 we can't cross that and live perpetually in the light, which is where we want to live. But God acted. God acted. And that act, my brothers and my sisters, was the cross. 
It's the act of God. You see, when, 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 when that chasm was caused by Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, their act of eating the forbidden fruit dealt a devastating blow to mankind, which had eternal implications. That one act of taking the fruit caused a whole lot of problems with eternal implications. So therefore, it stands to reason that since one man's act caused destruction and disobedience to run rampant in the world, it necessitated another man's act to put it back together again. And so this one man we know is Jesus. And in the act of the crucifixion, it opened up our blind eyes and enabled us to now have the capacity to know God. You see, God is love. Love acts. Love gives. But love dies for the benefit of others. The act, the act of dying made us have the capacity to know God and to bridge that gap that we try to bridge day in and day out. I want you to hear me in your spirits. I'm saying that separate and apart from that act of God on the cross, we cannot ever know God because when God looks at us, he sees sin and there is no fellowship between light and darkness. But when he sees us and he sees his son, the light saw the light. And spirits are attracted to spirit. God is spirit and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So if you want to be walking with God in the light, it first requires that you acknowledge and believe that when he died on Calvary's tree, he opened up the doorway for you to come in. And as long as you stay under the shadow of his wings, under the blessings and the power of the almighty God, you will constantly walk in the light. That is love's act. So while there are wars going on between us, we all have choices to make. Every day, we're choosing light or dark, light or dark. But the thing that you need to do, and I close right now, is to make sure that you are saved. Because if you are saved, then the Spirit of God, the light of life, dwells within you, and it will constantly be pulling you to act in accordance with the will of God. You want to know God today in a real way? If you've already asked him into your heart, you want to know him in a real way today? Love somebody. Serve somebody. Do something that you know takes you out of yourself. Care for somebody. Do something beyond what feels comfortable. And in that act, you're going to feel God. And you're going to feel a presence like, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, but somebody told me that Jesus is real. And listen, I know he's real because in my heart, I can feel him. Are you with me? Love's act was Christ on the cross. And you have to act if you want to know him. Amen?